0: Good morning. Good morning. good morning good morning it's uh, good morning it's good to see everyone here this morning and uh, I hear it's going to be a nice day and uh, so um, praise the Lord for that in the coming of spring uh, have a few announcements that need to be made this morning um, I thank everyone for the uh, the shower uh, for Miranda that was uh, yesterday and uh, And I kinda snuck in afterwards and I got a couple of finger rolls, so it was was worth it. (laughs) But it was was beautiful and uh, everybody did a wonderful job and and thank you so much for all of that, Uh, yes. We got to see some of the presents. Uh, National Day of Prayer uh, will be this Thursday And uh, the sign-up sheet is at the back, and as I mentioned last week, you can either be here, or for most people, it's probably more convenient uh, to pray at home. And so the sign-up sheet is from uh, 4.30 in the morning, if anybody is up at that time. Uh, And uh, till, there we go, okay, there we go, all right. And uh, till uh, 5.30 in the evening. And uh, if there's only one time that you can pray uh, and we have two people praying at that time, the more the merrier. So if, if we had to, we'd, we'd have two people on every slot and that'd be even better. Uh, prayer meeting will be at seven o'clock instead of uh, six o'clock. And uh, so we're, uh, everybody is welcome to come and, uh, and we'll be concentrating on um, prayer, uh, being the national day of prayer. Uh, and there is in your bulletin a handout uh, with some uh, um, different things that you can pray about. And so as, uh, as you are praying, just kind of look at this right here. If you want some uh, ideas of what to pray for, right here. And the, we're excited uh, that we're going to be having another baptism here in June. And we haven't had one for a few years. And so this will be June 13th. And the rain date of uh, June 20th. And uh, if you have not been baptized yet, uh, I'm sure there's a room in, the, uh, in there uh, for you as well. So, And there's room in the lake. Yes, there's room in the lake. <laughs> yes. Uh, any other announcements uh, this morning? All right. Well, let's... Uh, Go to the Lord in prayer. Our dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given to us, another day that we can be here in your house, and another day that we can serve you. And as we read through our Bible, it tells us that you are the king of the universe and the king of our hearts. And sometimes we don't treat you like that and we treat you as, a, as a something that's nice to do when we get a chance, and you don't always rate first in our hearts. So I pray that you would uh, prick our hearts, convict us of sin, convict us of the things that we uh, should be doing that we're not, and vice versa. We thank you for this church, and we thank you for everybody that is able to be here this morning, and we pray that you, uh, as we are here today, Uh, We pray that uh, we might be an encouragement to others and that we would be encouraged as well as we're here. We pray that you would watch over Ian this morning as he brings the message and the communion service to follow. We pray that uh, everything that is said and done here this morning would be for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. And our script reading this morning will be... Oh, this is from last week. Hmm. Did I get a uh, A last week? No? Okay. Okay. Okay, I'm, I was confused. It said uh, we had script reading of Psalm 23 last week, so I thought I had uh, a... Uh, yeah, it was a mistake, and uh, so it's not... Uh, yeah, anyways, our... Uh, <laughs> We will not be reading, I looked at it and go, Psalm 23, wait a minute. Uh, We will not be reading Psalm 23, we'll be reading Psalm 22 uh, from verse 25 to 31. Psalm 22, if you'd like to follow along, starting with verse 25. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly, Before those who fear you will I fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. They who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him, those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, for he has done it. We Bless the Lord in the reading of his word today. Amen. And our first song this morning will be number 147 How Great Thou Art. We'll sing. We'll sing all four verses of number 147 How Great Thou Art. Amen. And let's stand and sing. When I look down from lofty mountain grandeur, and hear the brook, and feel the gentle breeze, then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee His son, sparing, sent him to die. I scarce can take it in that on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take. oh my savior god to thee how great thou art how great turn out. <laughs> Number 21. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, my great Redeemer's praise. Let's sing one, two, and five. Verses one, two, and five. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Oh. Our fears that bids our sorrow cease. Tis music in the sinner's ears, tis life and health and peace. My gracious Master and my God, assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad honors of thy name you may be seated excellent singing and now would the ushers come forward for the morning offerings Uh, and if you have any uh, prayer requests please put that into the offering uh, when they go by And Heavenly Father, we thank you again this morning for the opportunity that we have to give back a portion of what you have given to us. And Lord, so many of us live such rich and wonderful lives and you have blessed us in so many ways with family and our jobs and homes and most of all our salvation and and you have just asked that we give a portion of that back to you in faithfulness that, uh, that uh, you would show us yourself more and more. We pray that you would take this offering this morning and use it and multiply it and use it to further your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. And uh, remain standing while we sing the next song.
1: should be number 3 in your little songbook. Number 3, yet not I but through Christ in me.
2: What gift of grace is Jesus my redeemer. There is no more For heaven now to give He is my joy My righteousness and freedom My steadfast love My deep and boundless peace To this I hold My hope is only Jesus For my life is wholly bound to Him Oh, how strange and divine I can sing. All is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. The night is dark, but I am not forsaken. For by my side, the Savior, he will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing For in my need His power is displayed To this I hold My shepherd will defend me Through the deepest valley He will lead Oh, the night has been won i shall overcome yet not i but through christ in me no fate i dread i know i am forgiven the future sure the price it has been paid for jesus bled and suffered for my pardon and he was raised to overthrow the grave to this i hold my sin has been defeated jesus now and ever is my plea I long to follow Jesus For He has said that He will bring me home And day by day I know He will renew me Until I stand with joy before the throne To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus all the glory evermore to him when the race is complete still my lips shall repeat yet not i but through christ in me when the race is complete still my lips shall repeat yet not i but through christ in me yet not i but through christ in me
1: amen may be seated Well, good morning, church. Good morning. We're going to spend some time together uh, going to the Lord in prayer. I love the sound of the lawnmower outside. That means spring is here. I'm going to get mine fired up here one of these days. All right, I've got a number of prayer requests here in the uh, offering plate. Any requests or thanksgivings we want to remember before before the Lord. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for sharing, Donna. Other praises or thanksgivings? Requests? Yeah. Yeah, Brian Benner is not here with us this morning. He's got a head cold, so pray for him. Millie. wonderful keep we'll keep praying for diana she broke her back right her neck. her neck broke her neck so pray for diana making some recovery all right let's let's go to the lord together in prayer father we come to you this morning because you are god You are the king over all kings, the Lord of lords. You reign and you rule over all. Great are you, Lord, and greatly to be praised. You are gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. You are good to all, and your mercy is over all that you have made. And so, all your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you as we come to you this morning father we acknowledge we're sinners we know our transgressions and as david prayed in psalm 51 our sin is ever before us against you you only we have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that if you were to condemn us you'd be just and right have mercy on us O god according to your steadfast love according to your abundant mercy blot out our transgressions Wash us thoroughly from our iniquity and cleanse us from our sin. Let's take a moment now to silently confess our sins unto God. We confess our sins clearly, Father, and we ask your forgiveness boldly. Because though all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, we know that those who come to your son Jesus in true faith are justified by his grace as a gift. Who is to condemn us if we are in Christ? Jesus, you are the one who died and who was raised for us, and even now you are seated at the right hand of the Father as our advocate making intercession for us. Our sins are many, but your mercy is more. And we ask, Lord, that as we come to you in prayer, that you would banish every doubt and every fear. Assure us, Lord, of your forgiveness for us in Christ, all, of the, all those who've come to you in faith. We come to you, Lord, with, with praises, with thanksgivings, with requests. We thank you so much for this church family and what an outpouring of love uh, yesterday with the baby shower, Father, we thank you for the gift of church community, the gift of family, uh, the gift of new life, Father, and, uh, and uh, baby Nora Jean Louise in Miranda's womb. We thank you, Father, for the, the gift of community, even just this morning with a, a lawnmower uh, showing up at, uh, at Donna's house. We thank you for Sandy, Father, and his willingness to serve. And uh, thank you for Deb, Lord, and her willingness to make the connection there. We thank you for Herman and Donna. Pray that you'd continue to sustain them and that you'd continue to give us opportunities to serve them uh, in, in this difficult time. We pray for Jane, Father. Continue to pray for her as she grieves uh, for her husband, and as she makes preparations, Lord, this summer, lots of changes in store. We we ask, Lord, that you'd uh, bring your blessing on her upcoming moving sale uh, on May twenty second, um, and uh, that that would be um, that would be helpful, Lord, in in her preparing to move, and we pray that you'd assist her, Lord, as she's uh, beginning the renovations at the the home she's moving to in Washington, and. Pray that uh, I know there's been some debacles with contractors. We just pray that everything would go smoothly that way, uh, and uh, that you'd you'd bless this move, Lord. Would we pray for Betty Randall's family as they as they mourn her loss and and prepare for her service, uh, and we just ask that you'd bless the preparations for over all of that, uh, that you'd be glorified. And that her family would be encouraged as they grieve. We uh, praise you again, Lord, for our friend Alex's uh, good report that he's cancer-free, and uh, what a what a blessing that is. We pray that you'd bring him back here soon, that we'd be able to celebrate with him. We thank you, Lord, for uh, uh, for Shirley Freeman and. Uh, and Devon and Dakota, we thank you, Lord, that uh, they're able to be with us this morning. Pray that you'd continue to uphold Shirley uh, as, she, uh, as she leads and provides for her family. And uh, uh, Lord, we, uh, we just ask your continued blessing over her and over Devin and Dakota as well. We ask, Lord, uh, for Herm Miller that he'd be able to come to church soon. We'd be able to see him here on a Sunday morning. And we pray for Brian Benner as well, um, that uh, that he'd be restored to health soon, that this cold would pass, that it wouldn't be anything more than a cold. And uh, Lord, we continue to pray for Diana, who broke her neck. We pray that that recovery would continue, that you'd bring healing to her bones. We thank you for the, again, that sound of the lawnmower out there, a sign of spring. We thank you for the, the trees budding, Lord, and and all the signs of life that are around us. We pray, Lord, that um, as you're bringing life to the earth, so you'd bring life to our hearts, and to this church, and to this community, to this state, to this nation, Lord, that you'd bring um, revival. What is spring but a revival, Lord, of life in this earth, and we pray that you would bring a spring, Lord, of revival to this, first of all, Lord, just to our church, and to us as individuals, that those of us in feeling dry and weary in our spiritual lives would be encouraged, Lord. I, I praise you and I thank you for those individuals in this in this church body who even now are undergoing a sort of spiritual revival in the last weeks and months. We ask that you do more of that, Lord. We ask, Lord, for for those those here longing uh, for spiritual revival after a drought in their hearts, that they would experience the power of your Spirit in a mighty way, even this morning. We pray the same, Lord, for our community, for our state. We pray that you bring revival to New England in our lifetimes. Father, we ask your blessing over the National Day of Prayer this week. Uh, we ask that it would be a great day of prayer, that you'd make us a people of prayer. We pray, Lord, that you bring repentance to our nation, those areas where we need to repent. I pray for this, finally, Lord, for this church body, and for the families that are represented here, for husbands and wives, Lord, for mothers and fathers and grandfathers and grandmothers and we thank you for the gift of family, Lord. Pray that we would be a people who, who are seeking your design for family. Um, we, we ask, Lord, that you'd raise up men in this place who are uh, sober-minded and dignified, self-controlled, sound in the faith and in love and in steadfastness. Pray, Lord, for those husbands in this congregation that you'd teach us to love our wives sacrificially, even as ourselves you'd teach us to live with our wives in an understanding way, showing honor to them as unto a weaker vessel that our prayers wouldn't be hindered. Pray, Lord, for the fathers in this congregation that um, you'd help us not to provoke our children but to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Pray for the the women of our church, Father, that you'd raise up women in this place whose mouths speak holiness and righteousness, who are adorned with the imperishable inner beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in your sight is very precious. Pray for the wives of this church, Father, that even as the husbands are called to love their wives, that the wives would respect and submit to their husbands, that it would be a blessing to their homes and their communities. That you would call and equip the women of our church to raise up another generation of young women to walk in the Spirit, building their households for your glory in our community. We pray for the children of our church, Lord, that they'd be built up in their knowledge of you, that you'd be doing uh, a mighty work in their hearts as they encounter your word, that they would believe it. Thank you, Lord, for the the young people in in our church community who've made bold professions of faith, pray that you sustain them in their faith, that you'd set them up, Lord, for for a lifetime of service to you and a faithfulness to Christ. In a world full of ways to be pulled away from true godliness, draw them to yourself. Father, we lift all this up to you in Christ's name. Amen. The text for this morning is going to be in Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, and we're going to be looking at verses 20 through 25. If you'll remember, last week we read about Jesus' cursing of the fig tree and how the fruitlessness of the tree was a picture of the fruitlessness of the temple in Jerusalem. But we have still more lessons to learn from the fig tree and we're going to examine those this morning. Again, we're in Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 20. In the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we desperately need to understand the power of prayer. Give us eyes to see and minds to understand the great promises which your Son has made in Scripture regarding the power of prayer. Help us even, Lord, on this National Day of Prayer Week that we would be a people who are marked by powerful prayer. And we pray all this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. You may have heard of George Mueller before. He he very famously founded orphanages in England, caring for more than 10,000 orphans in his lifetime. And he did it without ever asking for a donation. He simply prayed that the funds would come in, and they did. One friend of Mueller's related this encounter with George years later. I'll quote from him. I met Mr. Mueller the morning of our sailing from Quebec to Liverpool. About half an hour before the smaller boat was supposed to take the passengers to the larger ship, Mueller asked of the agent if a deck chair had arrived for him from New York. He answered, no, and was told that it could not possibly come in time for the departure of the boat. I had with me a chair I had just purchased and told Mr. Mueller of the place nearby and suggested, as but a few moments remained, that he had better buy one at once. His reply was this, no, brother, our Heavenly Father will send the chair from New York, it is one used by Mrs. Mueller. I wrote 10 days ago to a brother who promised to see it forwarded here last week. He has not been prompt, as I would have desired. But I am sure our Heavenly Father will send the chair. Mrs. Mueller is very sick on the sea and has particularly desired to have this same chair. And not finding it here yesterday, we have made special prayer that our Heavenly Father would be pleased to provide it for us, and we will trust Him to do so. His friend continues As this dear man of God went peacefully on board, running the risk of Mrs. Mueller making the trip without a chair, I confess I feared Mr. Mueller was carrying his faith principles too far and not acting wisely. I was kept at the express office 10 minutes after Mr. Mueller left. Just as I started to hurry to the wharf, a team of horses drove up the street, and on top of a load just arrived from New York was Mr. Mueller's chair. It was placed in my hands specifically to take to Mr. Mueller just as the boat was leaving the dock, the Lord having a lesson for me. (laughs) Mr. Mueller took it with the happy, pleased expression of a child who has just received a kindness deeply appreciated. And reverently removing his hat and folding his hands over it, he thanked the Heavenly Father for sending the chair. I want to begin this morning by asking ourselves this question. Do we, like Mr. Mueller's friend, see it as unwise to expect God to answer our prayers? I'll put it another way Do we expect that, as a normal part of our Christian life, we would regularly experience directly answered prayer. Or put yet another way, when we pray, do we expect God will answer? Or do we actually pray to God expecting that he won't? I worry that it's possible in our secular age that many Christians like us have simply given up faith in God's promises that he will actually answer prayer. So as we begin, I want us to ask ourselves, am I regularly encouraged by the way God specifically answers prayer in my life? Or does my prayer life lack power? Do I go to my knees in prayer because I believe God will hear and answer? Or do I pray merely because it's what I it's I... It's what I know I'm supposed to do. Friends, if you're here this morning and you say, that's me, my prayer life is weak. This text and these words from Jesus are for you. This passage has surgically opened up the heart of my prayer life this week, and the great physician has been at work prodding around inside me. And I pray that Jesus' words here would cut you open and encourage you in the same way. We pick up the account in Mark 11, verse 20. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. Now You'll remember the fig tree from last week. Like the temple, Jesus saw that it was fruitless, and he foretold its downfall. And just the next day, it was obvious the tree had withered. It had responded directly to Jesus' words, which isn't something that happens every day. And Peter was amazed Rabbi, look, that, that tree actually died. You said, may no one ever eat from it again, and now no one will, because it's dead. They were amazed and we're going to spend our time this morning seeking to understand how jesus responded to the disciples amazement the disciples saw a great miracle but jesus was about to teach them that that power to accomplish miraculous things that a power even more miraculous than what had happened to the tree was not out of reach, even to the spellbound disciples. Power, like the prayer that shriveled the tree, was available to the disciples if they would but put their faith in God. Verse 22, Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea. And does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. My summary statement of Jesus' teaching is this. Power in prayer springs from faith in God. It's our big idea for the morning. Power in prayer springs from faith in God. Jesus wanted his disciples to understand that they too could experience miraculous, powerful prayer if they would but put their faith in God. It's a stunningly simple promise. Whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. In other words, effective prayer requires faith. Believe that you have received it and it will be yours. God answers prayers of faith. Power in prayer springs from faith in God. Now, this may seem obvious or it may seem confusing, it raises questions that we need to answer, and we'll get to those. Exactly what kind of faith does God require of us? What exactly are we asked to believe in in order for God to answer our prayers? If Jesus says we need to believe without doubting in order to receive answer from God, we need to know what we're supposed to be believing in. In other words, how do I pray in faith? It's the question I'm going to answer this morning. How do I pray in faith? And I want to keep this simple. We're going to look at three aspects of praying in faith. And then we're going to look at two dangers to avoid in our interpretation and our application of this passage there be dangers here we're going to watch out for them we'll start with the the sort of the three ingredients of praying in faith and then we'll look at the two dangers we want to avoid in interpreting passages like this so we'll start with those three ingredients of a prayer in faith believe in God's existence believe in God's power and believe in God's promises believe in God's existence his power his promises. We'll take those one at a time. The first ingredient to the prayer of faith is to believe in God's existence. Verse 22, Jesus answered them, have faith in God. The key to powerful prayer, according to Jesus, is faith in God. And in order to have faith in God, sort of the first step is to believe that He exists. Hebrews eleven six 6 says this, without faith, it is impossible to please God for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. This is the most basic level of the Christian faith a settled belief in God's existence. But the faith which Jesus describes in this passage as the pathway to powerful prayer doesn't end at mere belief in God's existence. First, believe in God's existence, and second, believe in God's power. Believe in God's power. The disciples were flabbergasted that Jesus had shriveled a measly fig tree. But Jesus wanted them to see that there's actually no upper limit to God's power. The God to whom we pray can do anything he sets his mind to. Which is why he goes on to talk about mountains. Verse 23, truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Guys, you think the tree thing was amazing? My father can move mountains. He has the power to pick up this mountain right now and move it 15 miles eastward and drop it right in the middle of the Dead Sea. Of course the point wasn't that moving literal mountains was going to become a regular part of the disciples' prayer life. Jesus never moved a literal mountain. He never needed to to accomplish his father's will on the earth, nor did the apostles. And we probably won't be required to do any mountain moving either. That's not the point. The point is that levitating a mountain into the sea is almost the hardest thing you could imagine. The point is that we shouldn't limit our prayers because we think God's power has limits. It doesn't. The one to whom we go in prayer can move mountains with his pinky finger if he wants to. If we're going to pray in faith, we need to grasp God's great power but I think it's clear that there's one more facet to the prayer of faith which Jesus is calling us to and which he gives special attention in this passage. We're to believe in God's existence and in his power. We're also to believe in God's promises. Let's look very closely at Jesus' words here. What is Jesus calling us to believe in? Verse 23, The kind of faith he's calling us to we should have a reasonable expectation of an answer that the prayer of faith not only trusts god's existence and his ability to answer prayer but also trusts that god indeed will and does answer prayer so much so that we're supposed to believe that quote what we say will come to pass We've been commanded by Jesus to, quote, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Received there is in the past tense. Believe that you have received it before you do. Even as we're praying like Mueller on the dock, we're supposed to have a kind of confidence that God indeed will answer our prayers. Let me be clear here. This does not mean that God answers prayer on the basis of our faith in our prayer. He's not saying, believe in your prayer hard enough and you'll get it. Right. This isn't wishing on a star for a new bike in the second grade with your eyes squirmed up. I believe, I believe, I believe. <laughs> We're not believing in ourselves. We're believing in God in his promises. Do you remember the passage from Hebrews which I quoted earlier? I think this will help clarify what Jesus is getting at. Hebrews 11, verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to him must believe that he exists. We talked about that, but it doesn't stop there. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who who seek Him. Faith not only believes that God exists, faith also believes that God welcomes and rewards those who seek Him. God specifically does not want us to come to Him believing that He exists only and then being confused and uncertain as to what He'll do with us. God wants us to come to Him believing that he rewards those who seek him. That he actually responds to people who come to him, who seek to worship and believe in and obey him. And this is true in prayer. God has not left us uncertain about whether he wants to answer his people's prayers. The New Testament is very clear on this. God rewards those who seek him, and he actually wants us to believe it Listen to God's promises to us, his people, through Jesus. Do we actually believe these promises when we pray? I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 7. This is God's word. This is Jesus' direct promise to his people. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Ask and it will be given to you. That's Jesus' promise. And He actually wants us to believe it. Believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Implied here is that God is less responsive to prayers which do not anticipate an answer. In other words, God does not delight in prayer which foundationally questions his solid promises. God delights in prayer which believes his promises. Expecting God to answer prayer is not presumptuous, it's obedient. It's taking God at his word. It's not presumption to assume that God will answer prayer any more than it's presumptuous for a child to ask for bread from his father. Is it presumptuous for a daughter to ask for daddy to read her a story before bed? No good fathers love to give good gifts to their children. In fact, it would be more offensive to a good father if their child assumed their father would be reticent and unwilling to answer their request. Is that how we treat our Heavenly Father? Have we decided beforehand that God actually doesn't want to answer our prayers? If so, friend, Hear the words of Christ. Jesus tells us in no uncertain terms to pray believing God will answer. And Jesus promises that that kind of faith in the goodness of God will make for an effective prayer. Whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. In other words, God has so set it up that he is most responsive to prayers which are prayed with the kind of faith that actually believes he is good enough to his children to answer. Do you want a more powerful prayer life? Do you want to pray in faith? Believe that God exists? Believe that he's powerful? And believe his promises that he actually answers prayer? So the three ingredients to praying in faith. But we also need to set up some guardrails here to avoid some dangers which people often wander into on this issue of praying in faith. I want us to avoid two errors as we think about this promise together. One error would be to kill this promise by a million qualifications. One thing we must not do is to take this bold promise from the mouth of Jesus and explain it away by saying basically, well, Jesus says God will answer the prayer of faith, but he doesn't actually mean it. That's one error. Jesus does mean it. This is the incarnate Son of God, and we're going to take Him at His word. The other error would be to take this promise as our only guideline for understanding prayer. We could take this one verse in isolation, apart from the rest of Scripture's teaching on prayer, and do some very dangerous things. So I want to lay out a few things that Jesus most definitely does not mean in these verses with help from the rest of Scripture. On the basis of this passage, some charismatic and word-of-faith teachers teach Christians who are sick or ill or handicapped that the only possible reason that their prayers to be healed haven't been answered is because of their lack of faith. The teaching is basically this. That faith is the only variable in whether or not God answers prayer. He's like a cosmic vending machine. And as long as you've got enough faith tokens, God will answer. That's foolish and it's dangerous. That kind of teaching leads genuine Christians to question either their faith or God's goodness. When they come to God in faith, asking for healing, and God chooses not to heal, which happens. First John 5.14 says this. This is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. In other words, it's possible that we could ask for something in prayer in full faith knowing God can and will answer prayer and yet he says no simply because whatever we are asking for is not in accordance with his perfect sovereign will for our lives. Very often, unanswered prayer doesn't have to do with a lack of faith. But it has everything to do with a misunderstanding of God's perfect will in a given situation. Sometimes God says no. His no's are a way of teaching us his perfect will. Of teaching us to pray within his will. God is not a cosmic genie who spoils us by giving us anything we ask for, no questions asked. He always knows better than we do what we really need. And sometimes, like a good parent, he says no to what we ask for. And I think we need to hear that when we read passages like this, with Jesus' bold promise, right? Especially those of us who've prayed years for one outcome only to face a final no from God. And if that's you, please don't misunderstand Jesus. Please take comfort this morning. Sometimes God does say no to our heartfelt prayer repeated for years. God's no to your prayer is not necessarily a judgment on your lack of faith. You can trust that if God seems silent on the end of your faith-filled prayers, he has a reason He's a good father. I'll read that verse from 1 John again. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Sometimes, like we've just talked about, it's not obvious why God gives us... It's not obvious why... I'm sorry, that's an awkward sentence. (laughs) Sometimes it's not obvious to us why what we're praying for isn't according to God's sovereign will. Sometimes it's not clear. Say This seems like a good thing, Lord. I've been praying for it for years. I think it would bring you, bring you glory to whatever, intervene in this situation, to bring healing, to whatever. And sometimes it's simply beyond us. We just don't understand God's sovereign will. But in other instances of unanswered prayer, we actually can learn as we go along Why God hasn't answered a particular prayer. As we grow as Christians, it actually becomes more intuitive to us how to pray according to God's will. Romans 12, verse 2 says this Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And as we grow in our knowledge of God's will, as we come to understand what's actually good for us, we become more aware that some of what we've asked for over the years wouldn't have been good for us in the first place. I experienced a lot of unanswered prayer as a middle schooler on weeknights before a snowstorm. <laughs> Lord, please make there be a snow day. Please, I know you can do it. You could if you wanted to. I believe, I believe. <laughs> James touches on snow day prayers in James 4, verse 3. Speaking to Christians about their unanswered prayers, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. God refuses to let prayer become a divine drive through to satisfy all our self-centered lusts and desires. In fact, in terms of worldly possessions and goods, food, money, clothes, houses, Jesus has explicitly promised us no more than we need. He taught us in the Lord's Prayer to pray for feasts every day. No, that's not what he said. Give us this day our daily bread. He promises elsewhere that if we seek his kingdom first, our basic needs, food, shelter, clothes, will be provided for. The Father's promised that to us. Prayers for daily bread will always be answered. But scripture is clear that God reserves the right to say no to our prayers if they are motivated by selfish passions. Give us this day our daily Lamborghini is to be found nowhere in the Gospels. Let me repeat, faith doesn't somehow manipulate God into automatic answers. Even faith-filled prayers sometimes get a no. So take comfort. If God seems silent on the other end of your faith-filled prayers, he has a reason. The rest of Scripture teaches us that. That's why it's important to avoid the error of reading these verses in Mark 11 in isolation. Faith is an important prerequisite to answered prayer, but faith is not the only prerequisite to answered prayer. Remember the other error, though. The other error in applying Jesus' promise about the prayer of faith would be to qualify it into oblivion. Jesus actually meant it when he said, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. God actually does honor prayers of simple faith by answering them if they're according to his will. So I want to finish by asking the same question I began with. Do we, like Mr. Mueller's friend, see it as unwise to live like we expect God to answer our prayers? Do we actually pray to God expecting that he won't answer? Friends, if that's the case, it shouldn't be a surprise to you that our prayer lives lack power. So press into faith, press into God, press into his promises. When you go to prayer this afternoon and this week, ask yourself if you're praying in faith, if you actually expect God, your father, to follow through on his promises, to give good to his people. If not, refresh yourself in his promises. Trust that God, your Father, is good. and That he always keeps his promises to answer prayer according to his will. Take him at his word and see what he will do. Amen? Amen. We're gonna celebrate the Lord's Supper here together this morning in a minute. The clearest seal, the clearest guarantee that our God is a good heavenly father who knows how to give his children good things in response to prayer is the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus reveals to us on the cross the heart of the father. God so loved the world that in our sin and our death and our despair, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So, loved the world. Christ, the eternal Son of God, in love willingly died in our place. And as we remember his sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins, know this his death proves that the Father loves you and wants good for you. Jesus' death proves that God's attentive to your prayers. So pray in faith. And it also proves that when he chooses not to answer your prayers, it is never as a result of coldness or ambivalence towards you. He works all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his good purpose. All things. That includes unanswered prayer. In your unanswered prayer, trust him. Look to the cross See the heart of God and trust that the son who died that you might live will not hold any good gift back from you, nor will his father. The cross proves that God will not hold back anything good from those who love him, who put their faith in him. So with that in mind, let's go to the table. Uh, Dean and Kevin, if you'd come forward. like to briefly explain the supper just as we come to it every week, uh, every month rather. Um, the Lord's Supper is a gift from Jesus. He left it to the church and he told us to do it. And Christians all around the world even now are gathering with each other on Sunday morning and breaking bread and drinking the cup together as a way of taking part together in Christ's body and blood. It's an outward sign of an inward grace. We who have come to come in faith to Jesus have spiritually and inwardly taken part in Jesus' body and blood. His death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead have won for us forgiveness of sins, final justification, and adoption into the family of God. So we we eat the bread outwardly, physically, in a way that we can touch and taste, as a way of remembering all of what Jesus has done for us. And as a way of proclaiming his death until he comes. The communion table here at Liberty is open to all who have professed faith in Jesus Christ. So if that's you, you're welcome to partake. And when the deacons uh, come by, feel free to take uh, the cup and the bread. Uh, If that's not you, if you're not a Christian, if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, um, know that this table is open to you should you want to put your faith in Christ. If you want to pursue a relationship with God, talk with me, one of the deacons, uh, or any Christian here after the service. We'd love to talk to you more about what it means to put your faith in Jesus. But for now, if you haven't put your faith in Christ, we ask that you refrain from eating at the table. Um, simply fold your hands as the deacons go past. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, warns that whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. This is a joyful celebration, but we we want to take it very seriously. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Christ Jesus, our Savior, died, He was raised from the dead, and He is coming again. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let's stand together and sing. of the Holy Spirit be with you all.